Good morning, church. Good morning, everybody. Uh, yes, I get to share the word of God with you. Um, so I'm really excited to do this, guys, and uh, let's get right into it. Um, as I usually do, I don't really have a point. Uh, so I hope that as I share and I share some scriptures uh, and some things from my life, I just pray that uh, everyone, maybe you can draw your own points, you can draw your own conclusions, and Walk away with something, uh, walk away with something that God has put in your heart. So uh, this morning, uh, I am going to debunk Christianity. And yes, before Russ shuts down my Zoom or mutes my mic, uh, let me explain. So first off, I believe in a loving God who's crazy about us. There's simply no limit to what he's willing to do in order to have a relationship with you. He's a relational God. He's looking He's not looking for praise, but he deserves it. He's not looking for credit, but all is due to him. Uh, he simply wants to be known by you because he already knows you. Uh, he doesn't have a five-year plan to win your heart. He's currently executing a billion-year plan, and everything's going according to plan. He has named every star, but he has also uh, counted every hair in your head. He said, let there be light, but he also knit you together in your mother's womb. You know, we may forget him at times. But he says in Isaiah 49, 15 about himself, can a mother forget her baby at her breast? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. You know, we may tattoo our favorite characters or our favorite uh, saints in our bodies. Uh, but he says in the same verse that he has engraved us in the palms of his hands. And I mean, he is known for some bloody palms as he had no problem extending them out when he chose to be allowed to be crucified for us. He wants to walk with you. He wants to hear you. He wants to carry you. He is a relational God. So for some of us, once we understand this, we say, you know what? Let me try it your way. Let me enter into this relationship with you. Let me lay down my burdens and let you carry them. Let me choose the narrow road. Some of us realize that his love is so great, we simply cannot deny it. So we fall in love with this God and we enter into a relationship with the creator, which I think is incredible. And that takes us to the next part of our lives, right? And this is where it gets tricky. Uh, not because it's tricky, but because we make it. Uh, there is this ideal of Christian living. And then there's how I practically live my life as a Christian. And let me explain a little bit. Look in 1 Timothy uh, 4, verse 15. The Bible reads, build diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. But here's the thing, right? They don't always match up. In fact, any given day, I may or may not live to God's standards. Sometimes, no matter how hard I try, uh, my life and my doctrine don't always align. Not because I don't want it to, but because I'm human and I'm going to make mistakes. And I think we can all relate to that. Uh, there's this heavy weight sometimes of what I think God expects from me, then what other people expect, and then what I expect of my own Christianity. So I set up this very high standards, this Christian life that I think I have to live up to. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with the high standards, but there's something wrong with not giving myself or giving ourselves grace. I want to share 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying 
we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we're out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ, love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, the ones we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we may become the righteousness of God. So then, you know, I read this and I think, you know, this is where sometimes I need to debunk Christianity in, in my mind. Uh, and this is what I mean. You know, right here, clearly God has done all of this for us out of love, but somehow, we start with a small acknowledgement to ourselves, you know, a little nod to our egos, so to speak. We slowly forget that this is all from God, right? And I can start looking at people who are in need of God and I can judge them. I forget that I've been given the ministry of reconciliation and I start acting not as an ambassador for God, but more like a judge and jury of the very people I'm supposed to help. So we're this ambassadors, right? Representatives of Christ and we represent him through our lives. And uh, personally, I forget that that's a gift that is driven by love. And in my worldliness, I slowly try to somehow uh, prove my worth, uh, you know, bring something to the table, if you may. And, and that right there is the Christianity that I think we need to debunk from our lives. It's the slow departure from God's mercy, love, and grace. And we think we're doing something great that maybe we don't need all that forgiveness, you know, just a little bit. Maybe we don't need all that grace. Maybe just un poquito. And that right there is the Christianity that I'm referring to that we need to debunk. We should need God's forgiveness as much today as we did the first day that we decided to reciprocate this love uh, to our God. And obviously the problem is not God, right? I'm the problem. The problem is not someone's expectations. The problem is me thinking that they should matter. Uh, there's nothing wrong with Christianity, but there's something wrong with this impossible expectation that we sometimes put on ourselves and also how we quickly, how quickly we forget where we came from. God's not the problem, but we also become, I know I do, I become self-righteous and forget that I will always need him. And that's the Christianity that needs to be debunked from our lives when we forget how much we actually need him. Uh, you know, sometimes when things are going well, when my life and my doctrine miraculously match up, uh, I'm tempted to tell the world, hey, look at me. Uh, I'm doing so great as a Christian. You could do it too. But the fact is, when I'm feeling miserably, I should also just as earnestly say, hey, look at me. I'm a total mess and I need grace. And this is also Christianity. And this is also okay. Don't just let everyone in when you're winning. We should also let everyone in when we're struggling, you know, when we're, when we're losing. Because that's real. And that's, you know, sometimes what our walk with God may look like. The issue may not lie with God's standards, which are perfect. The issue, the issue lies with our response or with my response. 
when I do not meet those standards and how, you know, I'm tempted to hide it. Uh, I'm tempted to not give myself grace, uh, not to confess, uh, not to make the wrongs right. Um, but, you know, this is ironically all built into the plan. But again, somehow I don't want to accept that part of the plan when we need to stretch out, when I need to stretch out my hand for help and ask for forgiveness and ask for grace. Always getting it right does not make you a Christian. Getting up off the mud after you fell flat in the ground, that's what makes us all Christians. You know, I love the scripture in Proverbs uh, 24, verse 27, and I'm reading the uh, message version. And it says, don't interfere with God's people's lives. Don't try to get the best of them. No matter how many times you trip them up, God loyal people don't stay down long. Soon they'll be up on their feet while the wicked, wicked end up flat on their faces. I also like the NIV version that says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Uh, so not falling is not what makes us righteous. Obviously, God is what makes us righteous. So I'm here to say, you know, let's normalize the fact that, that we need God, uh, normalize failure sometimes in our lives, normalize that our Christian life is not all about the wins and the miracles. Sometimes it's about failure, about heartache. Uh, and we have to celebrate sometimes our failures and our growing pains just as much as our wins. I'd like to read another scripture uh, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible reads, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What am I saying? Do not be like Jesus. You'll never be. But do your best to come as close as possible without making yourself feel inadequate when you don't. When you inevitably miss the mark, which we all do, do not invalidate everything else. Follow the plan already lined out. You know, when I hurt you, when I do you wrong, bring it to my attention. That's how we make it right with him and with each other. Let's debunk Christianity by laying it out plainly. I sometimes feel like, you know, I'm constantly measuring how far I stand from the standard that is Jesus. And it's quite literally an exercise in futility. You know, it's a Christian lifestyle that does not exist. It's a Christian lifestyle full of worry, fear, angst, and a little permanent pit in the stomach for fear of failing, fear of disappointing God, you, my wife, my kids, my parents, fill in the blank. And I think some of us can relate to this. And I'd like to uh, tell you this morning, you know, tell myself to stop. Stop because God himself wouldn't want me living like that. Listen, wife, kids, friends, prepare yourselves to be disappointed by me. The question is not if, but it will be when it happens. So stop looking for reasons why you may fail and stop worrying about whether or not God is pleased with your performance. Stop the senseless calculations on your salvation. Stop measuring yourself up and against, you know, fill in the blank. I'd like to read uh, in Mark chapter 10. Verses 30, verse uh, 35, I think this is kind of interesting. Let me find it here. All right, verse 35. Um, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, 
we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Wow. Uh, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at the left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized in the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answer. Jesus said, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. These guys are a mess. I'm sorry, I got to say it, right? They sound, they sound like my college roommates back in the day. They sound like me because obviously I was their college roommate too. This conversation start off, it starts off bad and it just gets worse, right? I mean, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I don't know. Man, that is bold. And then when the elders become indignant, probably not because of how bold and selfish the question was, but most likely because they didn't think to ask first. They all wanted to know what their place would be, right? Um, I'm surprised Peter didn't say, oh, but Lord, I, I left a great career in fishing to be here. Or, but Lord, I, I left my sin to follow you. But Lord, I did this to be here. Like, this shows how quickly and easily we can lose track of what really matters. But Jesus then does an amazing job of bringing them back to what's important, right? He just lands that plane so calmly and graciously. Serve each other. Rely on my ransom, which I pay for the many. Hmm. You know, I was thinking about the scripture, and it was making me think, what it would be like if the disciples ever came over my job to help me out for a day? I don't know what that would look like in your place of work, but I think in my place of work, it would be hilarious. I work at Red Robin, so I could picture the 12 disciples working at a Red Robin restaurant. I don't know if you can picture that. First off, Peter's going to want to be the GM, of course, right? So Jesus will probably make him the host since he was the, given the keys to the kingdom. Uh, you know, I see Mary maybe mixing it up behind the bar, probably on the headset, like, hey, Jesus, we're out, uh, we out of Merlot over here. Maybe the sons of Sevedi will be the line cooks on the back, cooking some fish on the back. Martha will probably be the head server. Uh, Judas will probably run the cashier, right? Do all the books. I mean, it would be a disaster, right? But isn't that our lives, our real lives? Don't we need Jesus as the GM to just kind of put out the fires, give us direction, purpose, and ultimately help us run a very dysfunctional yet very successful shift? You know, as a father, I drop the ball. As a friend, sometimes I don't cut the mustard. As a husband, I'm a disaster sometimes. As a bookkeeper, I don't even know where the money went. As a Christian, I've been weighed, I've been measured, and I've been, I have been found wanting. But it's still okay because Jesus died for me. Can you relate to that? We just love knowing where we stand, you know, what our place is. We simply love knowing how we stack up. Or maybe it's just me. Maybe, you know, because of my career, education, or whatever, I've been conditioned to always want to know where I stand and where, where, you know, where I stand in the pecking order. And that's not such a bad thing, except I always start applying that same logic to my Christian walk. 
I always start thinking, what's my grade as a Christian? What grade do you give yourself? And that's the thinking that I want us this morning to get past from. That's the Christianity that we need to debunk from our lives. You know, I took a class in college and oh my gosh, this was, I don't even want to say how long ago because it seems like yesterday, uh, but it was called educational psychology. And uh, the first day of class, the professors, like they always do, the professor gives us the syllabus, you know, hey, these are the books you need to read. Uh, this is what you need to, you know, to do. Then he went over grading and this is what he said. And this is a true story. This is literally my first day of class at educational psychology at Montclair State. He said, I will not grade any of you. You will give yourself whatever grade you want. If you choose to stay in this class, you will agree to read, to participate. You'll bring your ideas to class. And at the end, you'll give yourself whatever grade you think you deserve. If you, if you don't want to read and participate, et cetera, then just leave right now, never come back. And I'll give whoever leaves right now an A+. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not making this stuff up. Man, I thought half the class was going to walk out. Nobody did. I worked so hard in that class. never missed a class or an assignment. I was engaged. I read all the books. I actually had fun. There was no pressure of grades, right? Like nothing hanging over my head about it. And all my classmates pretty much did the same. It was one of the best classes I ever took. And of course, last day of class came around. He had us all stand up and go around and say whatever grade we thought we deserved. And incredibly, nobody gave themselves an A. I remember one girl who had been in one of my classes, one of my groups, we used to break up into groups. She gave herself a C because she missed like two weeks of class. She was really sick and couldn't make it. I gave myself a B plus. I got to admit, I was feeling pretty generous with myself. After we all went, the professor said, you guys are ridiculous. Did you not learn anything? Grades don't matter. You all read the materials, participated. We had great discussions. You all have grown since the beginning of the semester. You weren't here to measure up. You were here to grow. And you're all, you're all different than when the semester started. He told the girl that gave, that gave herself a C, it wasn't your fault you got sick. And then he went on to say, you're all getting A's. And he gave us all A's. I imagine God will not be much different when we stand before him. And I imagine in my mind, in my worldly mind, of course, I'll be adding up all the good qualities in my head. Like, okay, maybe you know, I've been a Christian X amount of years. You know, I gave to the poor. I did. I did. But then God shared this with us in Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you made them equal to us 
who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. You know, I think the best way to debunk, you know, this Christianity that I'm talking about is for all of us here to know that our best deeds, like Isaiah 64 says, our best deeds are but filthy rags in front of God. And that's okay. Because he loves us, we are enough. Because he believes in us, we are more than adequate. Because he stood for us, we can come to the presence of God freely. Because he died for us, we have been made righteous. Because he sees us, we are seen. Because he sacrificed for us, we are worthy. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have, you know, our best is enough. You know, we have to debunk the idea that we should, you know, be worthy on our own strength because we're not. It's not that we actually believe that, you know, it's just that we forget that we don't. I know I do. There's this very well-known and regarded, well-regarded 19th century uh, German philosopher. His name is uh, Frederick, or his name was Frederick uh, Nietzsche. And he's known for a few writings, very anti-Christian writings, actually. Literally, he wrote a book called The Anti-Christian. Uh, he claimed God is dead because we killed him. And he made a lot of anti-Christian writings and comments. You know, I was looking into him and it turns out that he started off as a preacher and became the solution, not with the Bible, but with the church, not with Christ, but with Christians. He once said that there has only been one Christian and that was Christ and he died on a cross. Well, I feel like he was actually right about a couple of things. There has only been one Christian and that was in fact Christ, but he also resurrected on the third day because he wasn't done yet. But when we as Christians start thinking that we're somehow better or somehow worthy or that maybe we have earned it, then we start hurting not only our own faith, but also the faith of other people. Because we can come across as hypocrites and we need to debunk that. Let's debunk that Christianity. Let's debunk that Christianity and start practicing the one where we just serve one another, especially serve those who are not Christian or serve those, you know, serve our children for Sunday school, uh, you know, if, if some of the same brothers and sisters are like teaching Sunday school class for six or nine months, I think a lot of us need to examine our hearts. We should, just like Jesus said in the scripture I just, served, I just read, serve. Serve those who are different from us. Serve, I don't know, the Muslim community. Serve the Jewish community. Serve the LBGQT community. Serve the Democrats. Serve the Republicans. Serve, serve the liberals. Serve the conservatives. It doesn't matter. You know, how else will they ever get a chance to be called by Jesus to work on the vineyard. And that is my message this morning. Brothers and sisters, thank you so much.